Please be seated. Well, as Richard has said, uh, Pastor John is down at the uh, SBC annual meeting. So please continue to pray for him as they make decisions concerning the convention and uh, pray that he and his family would have a refreshing time while they're there and uh, safe travel coming back. Well, if I just say some color combinations for you, maize and blue, green and white, scarlet and gray, what comes to your mind? I already know what comes to your mind. If you've lived in the Midwest for any amount of time, you know that these are the colors of the University of Michigan, the University of Michigan, (laughs) Michigan State University, and Ohio State. There's a huge rivalry between these three schools, and it always amazes me how passionate some people get about it, to the point that normal, mild-mannered people become fanatical and sometimes rude fans. I graduated from the University of Michigan. (laughs) I've been a Michigan fan since I can remember, and I never wanted to go to school anywhere else. My wife, Lee, went to Michigan State her freshman year and then transferred to Michigan. So I was so impressed with her good judgment that I asked her to marry me (laughs) after our sophomore year. I enjoy watching college football even with my poor, deluded friends who are Michigan State or, heaven forbid, Ohio State fans. (laughs) Some folks go so far with this rivalry and are so obnoxious that I have seen it cause divides in friendships and in relationships between people. So this morning, we're going to look at Chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at how God in a much more important context than college football, has brought unity to two disparate groups of people and through this created one unified group that we call the church. So please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Today we are going to look specifically at verses 11 through 22, but we'll start reading together in verse 1 to get some context. Okay, so in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Ephesians 2, 11-22 describes for us God's plan not only to break down the barriers between man and man, the Jews and the Gentiles, but also man and himself. This is his plan to create the church. Jesus came into the world to call together for himself a people from every tribe and language and nation, to bring unity to the diversity of humanity, to make those of us called by him into one people. Differences of class and gender and ethnicity serve to divide us in this world. Jesus destroyed those barriers and enables us to love each other with his love. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul describes how the Ephesians were spiritually dead, walking in sin, followers of Satan no less, and by nature children of wrath. And so it was with us, deserving of nothing more than condemnation and judgment. Then verse 4 starts out with two incredible words, but God. The all-powerful creator of the universe steps in and says, even though you are my enemy, 
even though you disobey me. I love you too much to give you the punishment you deserve. So I will make a way for you to be saved through my son. And God has lavished his grace on Christians through this saving initiative. So in verse 11, Paul begins to address another issue. Not only were the Ephesians dead in their sins, but they were not even a part of God's chosen people. So how is it possible that any of these blessings would be applied to them? As we go through these verses, I don't think there's anyone here who is a converted Jew who traces their lineage back to the original 12 tribes. So don't miss the fact that whenever Paul is talking about the Ephesian Gentiles, he's talking about us. Paul wants to make three points with the Ephesians. He wants to be sure they understand their spiritual biography and the three stages that they have gone through. So the first stage is he wants them to remember what you were. Remember what you were. Let's read verses 11 and 12 again. Therefore, remember, he says, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. First, he points out that there's been a bit of sticks and stones name-calling between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcision, and the Jews were the circumcision. But what Paul's pointing out there is that there was only a physical circumcision in the flesh made by hands. What he's insinuating is there's another circumcision, a circumcision of the heart that the Jews don't have. But at least the Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles are described as having five different liabilities or problems in their lives. First, they were separated from Christ. God had revealed the Messiah to the Jews, his chosen people, and not the Gentiles. The entire sacrificial system which pictures the work of Christ was only given to the Israelites, not the Gentiles. So there's a gap, a wall separating those who were descended from Israel from all the other peoples on the earth at that time. Second, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. While the law provided a means for individual Gentiles to become Israelites, the Gentiles as a people had no opportunity to do so. Their citizenship was elsewhere. And at this time, citizenship was a big thing. If you were a citizen of Rome, you had rights and privileges far above what anyone else had. But for the Gentiles, their citizenship was elsewhere. Paul talks about that they were sons of disobedience. They were not included among God's people. Next, they were strangers to the covenant of promise. God's covenants were not made with the Gentiles, but with the Israelites. 
God's promise to make a people for his own precious possession did not apply to the Gentile nations. Next, they were had no hope. The Gentiles did not have our God. They had gods which they had made with their own hands, made from wood and stone, and in these they placed their hope. But since these were only made by man, they provided no hope. And finally, they were without God in the world. This last statement kind of summarizes the others. The Gentiles followed the course of this world. Their hope is in this world, not with God. All of their hope is in this world. All of their pleasure is in this world. All of their possessions are in this world. For them, once this life ends, that's it. That's all there is. They had no hope of eternity. So Paul then describes the next stage in their biography. So let's read again, starting in verse 13. Again, two important words. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Paul now points out to them what Jesus Christ has done. So what Jesus Christ has done for them. Paul tells the Gentiles that you were once far off from God, but you now have been brought near. Moses in Deuteronomy says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? What a gift the Gentiles have been given to have the blessing of being near to God. What a blessing we have to be able to draw near to him. Paul tells us that the Gentiles were brought near in Christ and by the blood of Christ. So how did Jesus accomplish this? We're told in verses 15 and 16 that this was a three-step process. By abolishing, that he might create and might reconcile. So let's unpack that a bit. First, Paul tells us that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, if you're sharp on your gospel knowledge, that statement might sound a little bit surprising because it says that Jesus abolished the law of commandments, where in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares he has not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. So the difference is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking about the moral law, 
he did not come to abolish the moral law, but to expound on it and fulfill it for us. Here, what we are told is that by his blood, Jesus abolished the ceremonial law. All The ceremonial law was all the rites and practices, sacrifices, ceremonies that the Jews held to uh, at the temple. This ceremonial law was a serious barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. If you remember, there was actually a physical barrier at the temple in the form of a wall around it through which the Gentiles could not pass. And at the time that Paul wrote this, that wall still stood. And although physically that wall was still there and would remain there for another 40 years until the destruction of the temple, physically that wall remained, separated the Jews and the Gentiles. But Paul is telling us that spiritually Christ has already destroyed that wall. And he broke it down in his flesh because in the cross he fulfilled all of the Old Testament ceremonial law, all of the sacrifice requirements, all the blood to cover sin, all of that was accomplished on the cross for once and for all. In the second step, we move from abolishing that law to creating something new. Jesus creates one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Now that this divisive law had been set aside, there's nothing to keep the Jews and the Gentiles apart. What Paul is referring to here is not a new man, but literally a new human race, united by Jesus Christ in himself. The wider implication here is that this new unity, it spans more than the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. In other passages, Paul says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And in other places, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As John Stott so aptly summarizes this, he says, Men remain men, and women remain women. Jews remain Jews, and Gentiles Gentiles. But what changed is the inequality before God is abolished. There is a new unity now in Christ. And although this reconciliation... I'm sorry, I've got to have myself there. Sorry. In the final step, we see the hostility between God, is, God and men is killed as it was before between Jews and Gentiles. Only through the cross could both hostilities been brought to an end. Christ crucified has brought nothing less than a new united race, united in itself and united to its creator. Although this reconciliation is an event, access is the continuing relationship to what it, which it leads. It is now the us both of verse 14. 
Jews and Gentiles as members of this new society that approach God together. So the final achievement of the peacemaking Christ is the access of the people of God as through Christ and by one spirit we boldly come to the Father. Now we come to verse 19 and Paul begins to show us what we have now become. Let's read verses 19 and 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So then it begins. Paul starts to sum up what he has explained. What is the result of Christ's achievement and announcement of peace? We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens of the household of God. We are Christ's church. To explain to the Ephesians the richness of this blessing and to help them understand their new position in Christ, Paul describes three models of the church that are seen many other places in Scripture. First, he states, we are now members of God's kingdom. We are members of God's kingdom. We are fellow citizens with the saints. Earlier, the Gentiles were described as separated and far off. Now we are brought near and we are part of God's chosen people. Secondly, we are now part of God's family. God's family. It says we are members of the household of God. Now both Jews and Gentiles are God's children. The Gentiles have been grafted in and adopted They are now brothers and fellow heirs with Christ. We know a little bit about adoption in our family, and I can assure you that it is an amazing blessing for both the father and the children. Finally, Paul tells the Ephesians that they have become part of God's holy temple. The Jewish people of God were localized in Israel, and the temple The physical temple was the focal point of their worship. With the coming of Christ and this amazing reconciliation at work, now the relationship is the focus, and we are all part of the temple or the church of God. The physical temple will be destroyed just 40 years from when Paul is talking here, but that won't matter anymore to us. We don't need a physical place. All throughout the world is the church of God. When building a structure, the cornerstone is of crucial importance. Christ is here, the cornerstone that holds it all together and upon which the church is built. While Christ is the cornerstone, we are the stones of the temple. Peter describes us as living stones needing to come to Jesus and to be built into a spiritual house. 
But what is the purpose of this new temple or this new church? Essentially, the purpose has not changed from the old temple. Namely, it is to be a dwelling place for God. But rather than the Shekinah glory in the localized temple in Israel, now it is within all of us, all throughout the world. The church continues to be local as the church body assembled here today. We are the local embodiment of the church. But it is also universal in that now it exists wherever true believers are in the world. It is also constantly under construction. We are every day changed and transformed more into the image of Christ as part of our sanctification. This temple will only be complete one day when Christ returns and God brings about the new heavens and the new earth. Well, the picture that Paul paints for us here is a grand portrait of the amazing plan God has to create his church. But what does that look like when we look around at our world today? Think about yourself. For us, the major dividing lines are not between Jews and Gentiles, but in other things. What walls do we build up between ourselves and other people? What group do you belong to that makes you feel superior to those outside your group? Are the walls based on race, wealth, nationality, education, college football? At heart, any sense of superiority over other believers is based on self-righteousness, or rather group righteousness. These walls have all been destroyed and killed by Christ. Far be it for us to rebuild them. We were all once far away, but have been brought near by grace so that none of us has any right to boast. When we find ourselves at odds with fellow Christians, we need to remember that we are brothers and sisters, that we are part of God's family. Remember that we are living stones in God's temple. As Paul has said, we need to remember what we were. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. And we need to remember what we have now become. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift that you have given us to become part of your chosen people. Lord, we thank you for the honor to be part of the temple of your church. And Lord, we just pray as we go through our lives each day that we become more and more conformed to your image. And Lord, that we better live out our purpose as the living stones that cry out to others, that show you to others. And Lord, that through all of it, you would be given the honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.